Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Element City Church. We are so delighted to have you here and have you gathering with us, whether you're online watching from your living room or here in the house. We are glad to have you here. So I, I know I met a couple new people, so just to some housekeeping stuff for you. Uh, if you need some water, there's some water in the foyer. Restrooms are down to my left, your right. Uh, and if you need that, if you need a back rub, I guess talk to the person behind you and see if they would, I don't know. Uh, but hey, uh, glad that you're here. A couple things. If you happen to be new, we'd love to encourage you to download our app. You can go to your app store, type in Element City Church, you'll find it's a little E, download that, and on the second tile, third tile down, you're going to find that you can fill out a connection card, and that's kind of a digital way for us to connect. We'd love for you to, to fill that out, a couple quick texts, and we're connected. We'll walk with you the next five weeks, because we know it's hard coming and connecting to a new place, and so it's our way of saying hey and kind of answer some questions. You can opt out. I promise we won't spam you. Uh, and secondly, we'd love to meet you at our 10-minute party, which we throw right back there in that corner uh, for 10 minutes right after the end of service, and we've got the best kettle corn this side of the Grand Canyon just for you. The people who call Elements Home and they come here, they don't get it. It's just for visitors. So uh, if you happen to be new, we'd love to meet you back there at the 10-minute party. And just tonight, uh, as we get started, I'm just going to invite us, if you're here in the house, to stand up with us. If you're at home, we can't see you, so you can stand if you want. But we're going to pray for the Church of the Week, which is Living Word Chapel. They're up in Oracle, and uh, my good friend James Reese. I've been in a covenant group with uh, for 10 years uh, with James and a couple other uh, pastors here in town. And so I want to pray for Living Word Chapel, pray for our time together. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of the Asbury uh, kind of revival or outpouring that has been going on in Kentucky. And uh, we have a real passion here at our church to raise up worshipers, uh, people who are not just singing songs, but people who have a, a genuine heart poured out to God. And we just invite you tonight. I know you maybe have had a busy week, Maybe you have a busy week to come, but for the next hour and 15 minutes, we just invite you to kind of hit pause and to kind of pour out your heart to God. Let him pour his heart into you. And so let's pray together and we'll dive in. Uh, we're starting a brand new series tonight. I'm really excited to share uh, with you tonight. So glad to have you here. Let's pray. Father, we pause. Uh, we pray for James Reese and Living Word Chapel. God, they have such a heart for your community, such a heart to see the gospel go forward, such a heart to see people raised up in life with Christ and serving, using their gifts and talents. Pray your blessing over James and his team. God, every, uh, just so many people there that are, are so dear and um, that I'm fond of. And so I just pray your blessing over that church. God, would you continue to use them to reach people there in Oracle and the whole Copper Corridor uh, and the whole Northwest side of Tucson. Father, would you uh, provide for their needs? Would you bless them? God, your presence tonight we invite. Lord, we don't need less of you. We need more of you. As we sing here in a few moments, these words are more than just words that we say. They're an invitation for us to yield and surrender our heart to you. They're an invitation for your spirit to move in active ways within our own hearts. And so, Father, whether we are just searching out spiritual things and we're here, we're so gr grateful to have people here. God, whether we've been walking with you for a long time, we need a refreshment of your spirit. And so we just invite you, Holy Spirit, to be active in our midst, that our attention would increase our devotion to you as we worship you now. As we linger in your presence, may we be different simply because we have been with you.
search the world But it couldn't fill me Imagine empty praise And treasures that fade Are never enough And you came Satisfied here in your love. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you. There's
grace runs as deep as your scars. You pulled me from the Cries out. So here I stand. 
Would that be our heart's cry tonight? That we have to be people of your presence, that we, we need your presence, that we have to be before you. We have to see your holiness. God, that we don't wanna look away from that, but we wanna gaze upon your beauty. And as we see your beauty, everything else would just fall away. And so Holy Spirit, would you stir something in our hearts tonight? we would recognize our brokenness, 
that each and every one of us have walked in here tonight carrying some sort of burden, whether that be our anxiousness, our depression, whether that be a broken relationship, whether it be some sort of physical pain. Some of us might be wondering how we're gonna pay the bills coming up and have financial stresses. And yet, Jesus, you're still Lord over all of that. And so we just take all of those things, Jesus, we lay them down at your feet. We cry out to you as the Lord and Savior of our lives. We need your presence. We need you. We need your grace in our life. We need more of your love to enable us to love others. It'd be so easy to just rush through a moment tonight. But that's not our heart, Jesus. We want to linger in your presence. And so with the spirit of worship that is already stirring in our hearts through song, would that continue as we worship in the word tonight? And so we pray your anointing over Jack as he comes to speak. We ask that you'd speak through him directly to our hearts to bring us the truth that we need to hear. So would you open our ears to hear it? Would you open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word? We love you so much, Lord. And so we give you all the glory, all the praise, all the honor that's due. Jesus, it's all yours, everything. And so we pray it all in your name, amen. Amen, you can have a seat. good to, to worship together with you. I want to remind you, maybe you saw this as you came in, we're going to take communion at the end of the sermon, and so if you came in and you don't have one of these, that's totally fine to move right now. Uh, and so there's two tables back here, there's some in the balcony, and if you're at home, you have eh, 35 minutes maybe to grab some different elements that you can take for communion, so feel free to, to move about in that. We are launching a brand new series tonight called Unhurried. Uh, kind of learning to live more at the pace of grace. And um, this really flows out of our vision statement. We just took a, the last month kind of looking through our vision and mission as a church, celebrating the, the first 10 years of Elements' existence and kind of launching in to the next decade. So just a quick reminder of our vision, inviting community of Jesus followers. That's what we are. Commissioned by the gospel to make disciples. We want to make followers of Jesus, not just fans of Jesus. And we want to do that by cultivating relationships with the love of Christ. And that begins by cultivating uh, our relationship with Christ and to grow in his love for, for you and for me that we can then turn around and live that love outward to the people around us. And so what I'm going to share tonight, what we're diving into this series, and then we're going to come back and circle around some things this summer, and then we're going to look at some more stuff here in the fall, is um, just being really honest uh, this is the journey that I have been on for the last eight years. And so this series flows out of that. So your first instinct is, this is an hour and a half sermon. Let me put you at ease. It's not an hour and a half. It would be four hours, um, but it's not going to happen. We're going to spread this out. Um, but just, I, I want to invite you tonight to lean in to something that hit me square between the eyes about eight years ago. And um, 
it changed me. And it, it began me on a trajectory of pursuing some things and living in a different rhythm uh, to the best of my ability. And I fail a lot at this. I really do. But I know you do too. And so the invitation is for us all to get better and to take a step and to keep walking this out. This idea of living unhurried, that was going to, Alita, I didn't get to ask you, Alita's one of our youngest members. Alita, you've been around a few years. Do you feel like time is moving faster nowadays than maybe when you were a little, little girl? That, that things seem to go a little faster. How many of you feel tired? How many of you would raise your hand and you would say, I feel hurried? My hunch is we all do at times. Maybe you wouldn't label it that way, maybe. But uh, I remember eavesdropping into a conversation with a theological hero, uh, Dallas Willard. He was mentoring an author friend. I I only met John one time, but got to have a a 10-minute conversation with him at a conference one time. And uh, he he is a pastor at a a church, and and he talked about his time with Dallas Willard, who's one of my favorite theologians recently in the 20th century, and just passed away a few years ago. And 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 he kind of relayed the story. You read about it in one of his books, the, John Orberg, one of the books he wrote is The Life You've Always Wanted. Uh, and in one of those chapters, he talks about slowing. And he talks about this conversation that he had with Dallas one time when he called him as a mentor and said, Dallas, I'm, I'm, like, I'm f- this huge mega church. My schedule's crazy. What do I need to do for me to become more and more like Jesus? And there was this long pause. And he always talks about when you talk to Dallas, there's always a long pause. And then Dallas said these words, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And John wrote that down in his journal and that's really good, Dallas, that's really good. What, what else do I need to do? Long, awkward pause again. And Dallas said, that's it. Do that. And and I wonder, when I read that, eight years ago, um, I've been in ministry a long time. I spent my 20s, my 30s, my early 40s running like crazy, trying to build a kingdom, trying to build a church, trying to help people. And, And I love to do that. It's the passion. It's why I'm on the planet, I know. And I live for that. And when I read that, it was like a two-by-four to my forehead. And in that moment, it was like the Spirit was saying to me, all the things you want, you're missing because you're running ahead of me. And you're trying to do it all on your own. And I woke up. I'm in my early 40s, I'm early 50s now, and it's been an eight-year journey of trying to figure out how do I ruthlessly eliminate hurry from my life? Because I'm convinced, folks, that in the Western culture and American lifestyle, in the culture in which we all live, there is an undercurrent of hurry that just has a way of pushing us. Now listen, I'm not saying don't be busy, 
Uh, we're not anti-work. But I think the scriptures, and I think when you look at the life of Jesus, it very much screams to us to be anti-hurry. Jesus was very busy, but he was never hurried, and there's a drastic difference. And so the invitation tonight is to simply lean in and let's go on a journey and discover uh, maybe some of this undercurrent of our culture look into the reality of what Jesus teaches in his life because the reality that we're invited to is to orient our life around the rhythms and practices of Jesus. And not just the words he says, those are powerful and we need to know those. Uh, But I think we can learn a lot even just by seeing the rhythms and the practices of Jesus. There's a Japanese theologian, uh, Koyama, who who says this in a book he wrote, The Three Mile an Hour God. Here's what he says. God walks slowly because he is love. If he is not love, he would have gone much faster. Love has a speed. It's an inner speed. It's a spiritual speed. It's a different kind of speed from the technological speed for which we are accustomed. It is slow. Yet it is Lord over all speeds since it is the speed of love. Since the very beginning, The Lord walked with humanity in the cool of the garden. There's a pacing from the very beginning. When you meet people today, we ask them, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm good, just busy. Anyone ever answer that way? Pay attention this week. I bet 90% plus of the conversations you have when you ask someone that question, I bet that's their response. I'm good, just busy. It often reminds me of the beautiful invitation Jesus gives, Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you more to do. That's how we tend to read it. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Uh, a yoke was what you would put against, or over top of oxen. You would kind of link two oxen together. And so what Jesus is saying is all the rabbis of the day have a yoke. Like here's what you need to do in order to make it happen to live the life that you were created to live, and Jesus is inviting them to say, no, no, I need you to take on my yoke, not the one you create, not the one that the world says to wear. This is how Eugene Peterson says it in the message translation. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So I'm 20 years into ministry, and I'm running. Things are good, but I'm exhausted.
the last two years in particular, I've been walking almost every morning. I try to do a 5K a day. You know why I do that? A, my doctor told me to do. B, I finally got off the accelerator and I realized I was pouring my life out for other people and I wasn't taking care of myself. And it was like the whisper of the Spirit had a simple phrase, you cannot give what you do not have. And it was the next step into this journey that I'm telling you, it's been a long time. And I, I don't feel like I've made a ton of progress in it, but I feel very different than I was eight years ago. And I feel very different than I was even two years ago. And it's just this invitation to this journey of following after Jesus. See, practicing the life rhythms of my Savior, along with the help of my Savior, will actually begin to enable me to live more like my Savior. And so when we talk about this idea of cultivating this relationships with love and becoming a follower of Jesus, that is what we mean. Lyle said it in the video we had for Super Bowl. We have an agenda for your life. I make no bones about that. But the agenda is Jesus' agenda. It's not ours. It's the invitation to maybe begin to lean in and live a little bit more in the practices and the rhythms of Jesus. And that as we do that, that he's going to pour in the power. And that as we do that, we'll actually begin to experience and what it means to actually live more like Jesus. And I think the rhythm of slowing is one of those early steps. We don't like the idea of slowing in our culture. Uh, in fact, can we just do a time, uh, kind of a, a time warp, a, an understanding of time creep throughout history? We'll go really fast. Let's go back to the sundial that was invented in 200 BC. And people were complaining about the new technology to society. The Roman playwright Plautus turned anger into poetry when he wrote, the gods confound the man who first found out how to distinguish the hours. Confound him too. Who in this place set up a sundial to cut and hack my day so wretchedly into small portions? 200 B.C. Maybe the time warp and the time creep throughout history has existed. In the 6th century, St. Benedict began to organize monasteries and the brothers around seven times of prayer each day. Superlative idea, great idea. But by the 12th century, the monks had invented the mechanical clock to help rally that time to prayer. Most historians point to 1370 AD as the turning point in the West relationship with time. The very first public watchtower clock that existed in Germany. And now you knew what time it was. Before then, not really, maybe a sundial. Uh, the light bulb comes around, 1879. Edison invents that, and we're all grateful for it. We use it here. Uh, guess the average number of hours people slept before the light bulb? Every night. The average person averaged 11 hours of sleep a night. 
How many of you average seven now? Because that's what the average American gets now. We lost time to sleep. That's the average. About a century ago, technology stated and began to change the relationship with time again. For example, in winter, you used to have to go out into this thing called a forest and risk being eaten by a wild animal to chop down a tree with an axe to make a fire and chop up firewood. And now we all walk over to the nest and just raise the temperature a little bit. Or we pull it up on our phone because I don't want to get out of my chair and I'll dial it up then. How many of you have that beautiful technology? That's amazing. We used to walk everywhere. Now we use cars to get places in a hurry. We used to make our own food from scratch and now we have drive throughs We used to write letters by hand and now we have emails and our new best friend, AI. Yet in spite of our smartphones and programmable coffee pots, dishwashers and toasters, most of us feel like we have less time, not more. Labor-saving devices really do save time. So the question is, where did the time go? We lost it. Somewhere. It got misplaced. The 1960s, the futurists all had a prediction. In fact, one famous Senate subcommittee in 1967 was told that predicted by 1985, the average American would work 22 hours a week for 27, hour, or for 27 weeks a year. They would have so much free time. That sounds so foreign, doesn't it? You don't experience that, neither do I. But we all live faster and faster, which kind of brings us to maybe the dawn of the digital age in 2007 with the introduction of the iPhone that began to change things. In fact, lots of things happened in 2007. The year Steve Jobs released the iPhone. A few months before that, Facebook opened up to anyone who had an email address. The year of microblogging app called Twitter burst onto the scene. It's the first year of the cloud and of the app store. The year Intel switched from silicone to metal chips so things could go faster. All around 2007, when history is written, 2007 will probably be the time of the official start of the digital age. Nicholas Carr, as a Pulitzer Prize author, wrote The Shallows, what the internet is doing to our brains. Here's what he says. What the net seems to be doing is chipping away at my capacity for concentration and contemplation. Whether I'm online or not, my mind now expects to take in information the way the net distributes it in a swiftly moving stream of particles. Once I was a scuba diver in the sea of words, now I zip along the surface like a guy on a jet ski. Pretty fascinating. The smartphone put the internet forever into your front pocket or your back pocket, depending on where you carry it. A recent study said that the average iPhone user touches their phone 2,617 times a day that you're tapping out on the keys. Your attention span has dropped in the passing years. Used to be up around 12 seconds. Now you're about eight seconds, and a goldfish is at nine seconds. You're losing to a goldfish. We all now traverse the attention economy. 
we're not just in the digital age, we are in the attention economy. And everything businesses do is to get your attention. And so, perhaps Jesus understood something when he said those words in Matthew chapter 11. Are you weary? Are you tired? Come to me. Learn from me. Learn from me. And not just hear what I have to say, but maybe learn from me. See, Christ noticed a hurriedness within people even back then, and a hurriedness that exists now. I have felt and lived with a hurried pace of life. In fact, some people might call it hurry sickness. And hurry sickness robs us of Christ's light burden, and it brings a, a consistent take of fatigue under the surface of most of our lives. I want to encourage you to get a book that I think, there's a bunch of books I've read, but this one kind of capillates or kind of captures a lot of it. Uh, John Mark Homer wrote a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Um, fascinating. Uh, some of the stuff we just looked through was from there. But he writes about 10 symptoms. In fact, if you have your app, I'm going to invite you to open up and just scroll down to sermon notes. I put a lot of stuff in there that I may not have time to cover uh, in here that you can find. He lists 10 symptoms of hurried sickness. Let me just read you the titles. And you just listen to it and go, do I suffer from that? Irritability. You get mad, frustrated, just annoyed way too easy. Hypersensitivity. It takes a minor comment to set you off. Restlessness, workaholism, emotional numbness. You don't have the capacity to feel what others feel. Out of order priorities. A lack of care for your own body. Slippage of spiritual disciplines. The habits that we're invited into are the first things to go when life picks up speed. Isolation. You feel disconnected from God, from others, and maybe even from your own soul. Now, the point of this is that an over-busy, hurried life of speed is the new normal for those living in the Western world. And it's toxic. It's potentially dangerous. And it seems incompatible with the life that Jesus is calling us into. Come and follow me. That was his invitation, right? And not just know what I have to say, but like, come follow me. And so you see rhythms throughout Jesus' life. It's fascinating to me. You study his life and you see he is busy, lots of things to do, and yet Jesus is often withdrawing. Mark chapter 1, verse 35, very early in the morning, Jesus got up and went alone to be with the Father and to pray. That's what actually started eight years ago, As I just realized in my own life, I didn't do that. I prayed in the car on the way to number next, but I didn't do that. Jesus often withdrew to be alone with the Father and pray. In fact, at a couple different points you'll read in the scriptures, the stories of the disciples looking for Jesus. Where are you? All the people are here. They need you. And he comes back and says, hey, we're going to go to a different town now. What? Like all the people are right here. Yeah, I'm here, and I've got a mission, and we're going to go to another town. You realize Jesus didn't heal everybody. That is kind of mind-blowing to think. He healed a ton, and healing ministry was a part of what he did, but he didn't heal everybody. 
that had to be annoying for the person who was two, two people back when Jesus decided to move on. And so you see this rhythm of Jesus. Lots and lots of ministry, times of pulling away. Lots and lots of ministry, times of pulling away. And that is a rhythm you see. And my question for you and for me, is that rhythm a part of the rhythm of your life? Where you're all in, working hard. Again, this is not anti-work. But it is anti-hurried. Because what you see in the life of Jesus is that he was very busy, but never hurried And there's a drastic difference. Jesus was able to be fully present with the people. I think that's actually what drew people to Jesus, is that he was actually there. Hey, you ever had conversations with people, and you're there in the moment, but they're not? I mean, their body is there, and their mind might be in and out of there, but they're not there? Let's get real. You ever been in a conversation where that's you? And I'm physically present. And I am not here. The awareness to me was when my kids were coming up to me. Daddy, daddy, daddy. And I would have a conversation. And five minutes later, I couldn't tell you what in the world we talked about. Because I was there, but I wasn't there. I was hurried. I had a hurried mind, I had a hurried heart, and I was everywhere but there. Because I was constantly thinking about what needed to be done. Ministry is never done. I don't know if you know that. I used to like landscaping. I'm older now, I don't like it, but I used to like it. Because you actually got to see a finished product. Ministry isn't like that. It's never done. It's always on. It's always going. There's always another Sunday. There's always another person to call. There's always, like it's always. But this rhythm of Jesus, what you see is this all in and then pull back. All in, fully present, pull back. Present with the Lord. Present with the Father. And I think this hurry sickness has a way of permeating our culture. I know it did for me. Maybe one of the greatest problems of hurried sickness is it diminishes our capacity to love. Hurry and love are just incompatible. Love takes time, and time is something hurried people just don't have. And I promise you, hurry sickness kills spiritual growth. Because growth takes time, it takes cultivation. It takes concentration, it takes contemplation, it takes reflection, and you can't do any of that in a hurry. Now, the Bible's not calling you to be a a spiritual couch potato, not calling me that either. Again, this is not anti-work, this is anti-hurry. See, Jesus modeled a calling to life of doing the right things at the right pace, in the right way, for the right reasons. He operated in a continual state of love, he was busy, but he was never hurried. Can I just invite you to read with me one simple story, and you'll see it loud and clear. He could be in the moment with people, not distracted by a past moment or a future moment to come. He was there. He was present. He often noticed what everybody else missed. 
And, and so it's fascinating to me when you get to uh, Luke, or yeah, Luke chapter eight. Pull this up in my Bible here. Luke chapter 8, if you have your Bibles, you can go there. It's this fascinating story that we begin to see. Um, Luke 8, sorry. But I'm not hurried. When Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were expecting him. Expectations. How many of you have expectations on you? We all live with expectations upon us. We all have internal expectations. The crowd was expecting Jesus. He was there. Jairus comes up. Jairus is a temple leader. He's a big deal. It would be like the governor, maybe, in our day and age, to put a comparison to it. It was someone important who wanted to see you, who his daughter needed healing. Jesus, would you come? Jesus moved. And he wants to go to Jairus' house. And he's surrounded by this crowd that has all these expectations around him. He only had one daughter, Jairus, daughter of 12, who was dying. While he was going, the crowds were nearly crushing Jesus. So you got to get a picture of the commotion, the noise, uh, the dust that would be flying up around as this crowd of people is moving with Jesus to Jairus' house. They had spent everything on doctors. Nothing had helped her. Dire need. Then verse 45. Jesus stops and he asks a question. Who touched me? <laughs> I can hear Peter chuckling because in a couple of verses you'll read what Peter says. <clears throat> Jesus, there's a mob here. Who hasn't touched you? Like, we're all bumping into each other as we're going to Jairus' house. That's where we're going. We don't stop on the way. Jairus is an important guy. You heal his daughter, and and all this word is going to spread about you. That's pretty much what Peter is saying. You can read kind of between the lines. Who hasn't touched you? But Jesus stops. Who touched me? And this giant crowd and this commotion ceases in this moment. There is a dire need. There is expectations. And Jesus doesn't care. Because someone has touched him, needing healing. And he recognized it. And he noticed what everybody else missed. There's a woman who's been having an issue with blood, which in that first century world would have made her unclean. She couldn't go to the temple. She couldn't be a part of community connection with people around her. She lived in isolation. And she came up behind him to touch the edge of his cloak, believing that if she could just do that, she would finally experience the healing that she needed and maybe her issue would stop. And it did, instantly. And in that moment, She touches, she feels healing, and she wants to back out because crowds are not her thing. She's not allowed in crowds. But she remembered an Old Testament verse that you could read later. There's healing in his wings, and the garment of a robe of a rabbi was called the wings. And if I could just touch it, I know I'll be healed. She reaches out, she touches, she gets healed. And she's slipping away, and Jesus stopped That's not the plan. That's not how it's supposed to go. I'm supposed to just slip away now. 
And Jesus stopped because what he did in that moment, what he noticed what everyone else missed, is he noticed someone not only needed healing physically, but needed healing emotionally. To be reinstated back into community. You can read the conversation. It goes on, verse 45, 46, 47, 48. As it goes in and he heals her and he says, your daughter, your faith has healed you. You're restored now. And then he goes on to Jairus' house. And you know what? Jesus has enough power to heal Jairus' daughter. Very, very busy, but never hurried. I wonder if your life, I wonder if my life would be better if I didn't live with such a hurried soul. I can tell you eight years into the journey, it sure is. Now, I still get this wrong. I still struggle with hurry sickness. I still have uh, a capacity that, that speeds me up on a whole bunch of different things. But I think living an unhurried life begins to train us to be sensitive and aware to the people around us. See, hurry clouds our ability to notice divine appointments where moments where maybe God is bringing someone across their path to cultivate and to share his love with the people around us. Hurry just might be one of the biggest weapons Satan uses against Christians in our day and age. And in fact, John Mark Comer writes this about Corey Ten Boom. Corey Ten Boom once said that if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. There's truth in that. Both sin and busyness have the exact same effect. They cut off your connection to God, to other people, and even to your own soul. Ortberg writes, it's because it kills love that hurry is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life. Hurry lies behind much of the anger and frustration of modern life. Hurry prevents us from receiving love from the Father or giving it to his children. That's why Jesus never hurried. Hurriedness leads us into reactionary living. But living and learning to live unhurried actually frees us to live with intentionality and to live with love. And I want to get better at that. So how do you get better at that? Here's the annoying part. It's really hard, especially in our culture, in the current of it. But here's some tips. Can I just give you some? You're going to hear some of these and go, no way! And I'm going to say, yeah, way. <laughs> this week, I think it was Tuesday, I drove in the slow lane the entire day. And every time I felt the urge to pass somebody, which was often, I didn't. No way. Yeah, way. Cut the words hurry up out of your vocabulary. Do you know how many times I said that to my daughters growing up that I began noticing a few years back? Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. All the time. Why? Because I lived with a hurry soul and a hurry mind and a hurry schedule. A hurried schedule is a disordered heart. When you go grocery shopping next time, I did this Wednesday. 
I had three items. I know how to do a self-checkout, but I didn't. I looked around, and there was a long line that had eight people in it, and I got in it. And I just waited the whole way through. You know what else I didn't do? I didn't pull my phone out. Do you know how hard that is? And I got to talk to the clerk and wish her a good day and see how she's doing. This is hard. It's not easy. Walking has been a life-giving experience for me. Not just physically changed me, but emotionally, spiritually, it's changed me. It refreshed my mind, it awakened my soul, my awareness of God has gotten more keened in. I'm not perfect at it. We all must relearn the power of pause, of slowing. So, there's an app called the One Minute Pause app. <clears throat> Just invite you to download it. It looks like a white pause button. John Eldridge and his team created that. You can actually, maybe this week, pick one day where you just do a one-minute pause. It's literally 60 seconds, and it leads you through a little prayer. The pause app. The idea of the daily office is something I'm trying to practice, which is around lunchtime or a little after. Um, there's a church in Omaha that does <coughs> daily liturgy. It takes about 12 minutes. I don't do it every day, but I'm trying to get into the habit of halfway through my day, just pausing. Okay, God, uh, I'm gonna practice the daily office, which is just, whew, I'm shutting out the world. I'm kind of just, you and me, next 12 minutes. Just you and me. And I listen, or I read through it. It's got an Old Testament reading. It's got a reading from Psalms. It's got a couple prayers. Reading from the New Testament. That's it. And it's just being quiet. <clears throat> I went on a three-day uh, prayer retreat five years ago just me. I hated it. <laughs> I'm a pastor. <laughs> I hated it. It was so hard to be quiet for three days. I read nine books in three days. It was the only thing I could figure out to do to shut my brain off or to keep it occupied. I did a three-day prayer retreat last year, and I didn't want to come home. A lot of things have changed in five years. Friends, I'm just inviting you. I don't know what this looks like for you. Here's what I do know. My hunch is you suffer from hurry sickness. My gut tells me if you're a follower of Jesus, you call elements home, you want to live more like Jesus. Like deep in your soul, the gut of guts, like I want to be a follower of Jesus. And so here's the invitation. Find some ways to begin practice slowing. You can be busy, but learn to get your heart, your mind, your body off the hurried train. And what would it look like to live an unhurried life? To begin to get reprogrammed to live for the kingdom of God and to resist the sweep and the current that pushes us to live toward the earthly kingdom of things. Practicing slowing, 
fights against hurry sickness. It's kind of like spiritual vitamin C that I think we all need more of. So I'll just leave you with Dallas's words. As followers of Jesus, we must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. How can you begin to do that? It is a journey. It will take you a long time. But I promise you, eight years in, you look back and go, best, one of the best decisions I ever made. Because my life with Jesus, I'm cultivating that. My life to impact others, I have a heart for it. I live, I love to do that. I cannot give what I do not have. And friends, I have found some things. I invite you to find some things too. So Jesus invites us to the table. And then we'll close with a worship song. Part of worship is remembering that Jesus came, lived the perfect life, fully God, fully man, stepped into something you deserved that I deserved, said, I will take this for you. And then at night that he was arrested, he turned to his followers and they were having uh, the Passover dinner and he did it at an additional time, which would have been out of the norm, and he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body given for you. And in a moment, you're gonna have an opportunity to take and eat, to do this in remembrance of him, to remember that it was his body broken for you, given for you. He took the cup that night and he passed it around an additional time, which would have been so different. He said, this is my blood shed for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. It's not about you trying to work hard to get right with the holy God. That's above your pay grade. But I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. So this is my blood shed for you, for the forgiveness of your sins, my sins. Jesus passed it around. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And so I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to invite you in the stillness of this moment to take communion, and then let's worship for this final song together. And I'm inviting you, friend, into a journey to no longer live with a hurried soul. You can be busy, but to be more present, to be more aware of what God wants to do in you, through you. So, Father, I thank you that you're never in a hurry. You always have time for us. Whether we can give you 60 seconds, five minutes, an hour, you delight in each moment with us. Thank you for your son who modeled the life for us to follow. I pray that we would learn to follow him closely, walk more in the rhythms of his life, that you begin to reprogram us to live an unhurried life. Father, we remember your son in this moment as we approach the table again. He told us to do this in remembrance of him, and so we take this bread, we take this cup, we thank you for making us clean before you. Holy God, Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice, for your invitation to take your yoke upon you to learn from you. Your example that invites us to rest in you, not work hard for you, 
but to rest in you and then to work alongside with you. Would you grow our awareness of you to notice the things you're calling us to partner with you in, to be alerted to our own body and our own mind for appropriate self-care, to walk more in alignment with the practices and rhythms of you, our Savior. So take a moment, take communion, and with your whole heart, let's sing together.
that, don't we? That his love and his mercy, they call him the hounds of heaven because they're always chasing after us. They're always with us. It's been a great night, hasn't it? That's right. A few of us felt it. I felt it. Like my spirit is bursting tonight because I just, I feel like God um, is on the move not just in Kentucky where uh, all these young people are just standing in the presence of God and worshiping and where, uh, gosh, there's so much repentance, people giving their lives to Christ. But um, I just feel that we're at this point where we know that we need a reset as a church, that we wanna be different than the culture, that we wanna be people who can carry the love of Christ into any and every situation and show people uh, the Jesus of the scriptures the one who, whose goal for us is not just to be like him, it's for us to have joy and that our joy would be full. That's a beautiful thing. And we want you to have that too. So a couple of things um, before we let you get out of here. Uh, I know we wanna be unhurried, but we are like well past the time we normally would be. So there's the tension, right? And that's, we just have to live in the tension. So that's what it is. But for those of you who partner with us financially, we just wanna say thank you. Um, it's just a blessing that you partner with us to, to fund the ministry and to basically allow what we do to happen on a day-to-day -day basis. And so uh, if you're new and you're like, hey, how do they give? Most people give online. That's all in the church app that Jack mentioned at the beginning. Um, but maybe you've got cash or maybe you've got a check and that's the easiest way for you to give. We have some metal boxes that are in the back just inside the doors there. Um, on your way out, you can give through that. And if you're tuning in online, uh, I think there's even a link that you can give uh, right there uh, online. If you wanna do that, you can click there. So just uh, looking ahead, we've got a couple things coming up. If you're one of our volunteers, thank you. As a volunteer, you're the reason that, uh, that everyone who's here tonight gets to experience the presence of God and on a weekly basis, that's why we get to do it. There are people who give of their time and of their energy and their effort to do that. Uh, and so if you're one of our volunteers, we wanna celebrate you. So we've got something coming up March 4th. There's more information in the, the app about that. Um, check in with your team leads. One, they'd love to tell you how, how grateful they are for you and what you do. Uh, and they can give you a little bit more information about March 4th uh, and what we're gonna be doing uh, then. We've also got an after party coming up. How many of you have been to the after parties before? That's right. We get some food trucks out in the parking lot. Uh, we just hang out after service. Uh, and so we are already planning the next one. It's going to be March 19th. We're coinciding with the beginning of March Madness. Maybe this is the year for the cats. Can we just get a final four? We just need a final four. It's been too long, hasn't it? All right. So anyway, uh, last couple things here. So we've got the 10 minute party going on. If it's your first night, Jack would love to meet you. He's going to be back there. Uh, and so if you want to find out more information about the church, he's going to be there for 10 minutes. That's it. You don't have to be there for 10 minutes. You can be there for two minutes if you need to. Uh, just whatever it is, he would love to get to know a little bit more about you, hear your story. I'll be at the back door as well. So I'd love to, to meet you as well. Uh, and then lastly, we always go to dinner. There's always a group of people every night that go to dinner. And so uh, we'd love to invite you to join us tonight. We're going to be at Speedway and Swan at Transplant Pizza. Uh, and so we'll probably be there about 25, 30 minutes. So if you are new, hang around. Meet somebody uh, nearby. Uh, you've got about maybe 15 minutes that you can just hang out and meet a couple people. I know it's scary, but guess what? You can do it. I believe in you. There's some nice people in the room who'd love to get to know you. So hang tight, uh, and then you can head over there to Transplant Pizza and join uh, the group that's going to be going there. Hey, let me pray for us as we uh, get out of here. Father, we just pray your blessing uh, over this night tonight. We just ask Jesus that you uh, would go before, that you are already behind, you're beside, you're all around us. And so we want that blessing uh, to just follow us through this week. God, would we be people just who practice the presence of God 
who are known for being in your presence. And so that takes margin, God. Help us to find that space to begin to live at those unforced rhythms of grace, Jesus, that you talk about. We wanna learn more about that. That's not gonna happen overnight. That's gonna take time. But would you give us just a simple step, something that we can do beginning tonight, tomorrow morning when we wake up, we can be committed to doing that thing so that we can begin to be unhurried to start to untether ourselves uh, from just the busy rhythms that we may consistently find ourselves um, stuck in. And so whatever that looks like, with your grace, um, just go before us to create that margin for us to do those things so that we can uh, just begin to shape our lives a little bit more the way you want us to, Jesus. We love you, God. We're so grateful for this time that we get to be together tonight. And we look forward to doing it again next week. Everyone said. Amen.